there is a children's game as old as Western civilization itself called Follow the Leader. One child leads, the other children, they attempt to follow. Well, in the real world, society is often governed by a similar dynamic. For generations, America has been the standard bearer for freedom and justice. And for generations, the world has attempted to follow in our example. I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Berliner. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's right, from Kennedy to Reagan, from Reagan to Donald J. Trump, the moral clarity of America's foreign policy pursuits have remained relatively immune from our bitter divisions here at home because they were rooted in a cause greater than ourselves, that we will not watch evil grow stronger on our watch, that we will not allow threats against the homeland to go unanswered, and that cowardly aggressions against American citizens anywhere would result in the full wrath of American military might, no matter where you tried to hide from us. In fact, our commitment to the safety and security of Americans abroad was so uncompromising, so unshakable, that even the fictional Democratic presidents dreamt up by the Hollywood left understood it was a non-negotiable. Did you know that 2,000 years ago, a Roman citizen could walk across the face of the known world free of the fear of molestation? He could walk across the earth unharmed, cloaked only in the protection of the word civis romanus. I am a Roman citizen. So great was the retribution of Rome, universally understood as certain, should any harm befall even one of its citizens. That was the old America, folks. That is who we have always been. And that was the distilled rage that I believe most Americans are feeling right now. Because the catastrophic collapse we have witnessed in Afghanistan has forced most Americans of good conscience to acknowledge the reality that the presidency of Joseph Robinette Biden has compromised the safety and security of every single American here at home and most certainly abroad. We are now forced to bear witness to the coffins of 13 patriots returned home under the cover of the American flag. Now we know the name of five of those heroes, Kareem Nikoi, David Lee Espinoza, Max Soviak, Riley McCollum, and Jared Schmitz. We pray for those families. We pray that they are resting in the eternal peace they have provided each and every one of us. And we hope those families find solace in the reality that the cause that is America was worthy of their sacrifice, even if the conditions that precipitated their demise could have and should have never occurred. But if we're being honest, the gross incompetence of this administration is not simply a reflection on President Joe Biden. It is also a reflection on the political forces that pushed this octogenarian in chief into the highest office in the land. A complicit media and an easily manipulated public who even today remain convinced that the tweets of Donald J. Trump and the beliefs of his supporters 
are more dangerous than the threat of terrorism to the entire Western world. That's why when Russia attacked our fuel supply and this president did nothing, the media was silent. That's why when Russia hacked one-fifth of our beef supply and this president did nothing, the media was silent. And that is why when Hamas started firing rockets into the heart of Jerusalem to assault our Jewish allies in Israel, the Associated Press called those unrepentant terrorists activists. Because you see, when you have convinced people that the danger is within, that the only threat to their existence is the orange man with the red tie and the mean tweets, when you say quite literally, as the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, has said, that the true enemy to the Republic is in the House, it becomes very easy to lose sight of the real threats facing the world you have promised to lead and the people you have sworn an oath to protect. See, the universe, it abhors a vacuum. And in a global world, our enemies don't just smell weakness. They can watch it on television channels and read about it on Twitter the same way we do. I don't think it's a coincidence that the heinous attack on American service members trying to get stranded Americans home coincided with an escalation of disgraceful comparisons by the left and their allies in the media to equate Republicans here at home to terrorists who murder Americans for sport. Joy Reid, the MSNBC host, compared the Christian right to the Taliban in a tweet MSNBC op-ed contributor Dean Albadala dedicated an entire article to compare the pro-life movement of Republicans to that same murderous Taliban. And in the wake of the explosion in Kabul that marked the largest single day of casualties for American soldiers in Afghanistan in nearly a decade, it was quite telling that a major foreign policy contributor on MSNBC and HBO's Real Time, Malcolm Nance, tweeted, Hashtag, deal with it. This is not the America that we love. This is the America our founders warned us about and implored us to fight like hell to ensure it never came to pass. In just one generation, we have gone from Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, to Mr. Taliban. Please, do not hurt us. And if you want to know why Americans can't say for certain whether the greatest military force the world has ever seen will rescue them in time from a nation overrun by terrorists, it's because the people we have elected to lead and the people we have trusted to keep us informed are busy trying to convince anyone who will listen that the real threat to American exceptionalism is not the terrorist, but the person who lives next door. I want to bring in former Georgia Congressman and Lieutenant Colonel of the U.S. Air Force Reserve, Doug Collins, and retired Rear Admiral, former Chief Medical Advisor to President Obama and Trump Representative Ronnie Jackson of Texas. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I want to play something for both of you. Uh, the Biden administration's demeanor throughout this Afghanistan catastrophe has been just a little peculiar. Take a listen. I have a follow-up on Afghanistan. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of questions wrapped up in there. Let me do the best I can here. Mission uh, remains unchanged. Is there anything for me? Or we're good. All right. We'll see you tomorrow morning. I'm sorry. Did you have? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
You do? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Go ahead. So, Secretary Blinken. In terms of uh, the aircraft that have been flown out. I'll take a few more questions, and, uh, but you, sir. <laughs> I wanted to ask you. So, yeah, Congressman, I'll come to you first. I don't know what's so funny. I'm looking at 13 coffins coming home right now while this administration continues to pat themselves on the back, act as if they were left with no choice uh, but to effectively waltz down a pathway of doom. Any person who knew anyone could see. Uh, what are you saying right now uh, with what has transpired and now the deaths we've seen? Well, I agree with you 100%, Joe. This is this is just, it's unbelievable. The greatness of America has been challenged and it has been tested. And Joe Biden is our commander in chief has spelled miserably. And he's gotten people killed in the process. And this isn't over. This is going to set a precedent. Bad things are going to happen on the national security front for many weeks to come. And we're going to see horrible images coming out of Afghanistan. He's counted. They, they don't take this serious. They counted on the mainstream media to cover up for him for the last six months. The mainstream media is not doing it right now. They don't know what they're doing right now. And it's on full display for the entire world. And it is going to be a huge problem for our country in the weeks, months, and years to come. And I, I just, as a, as a former active duty member who served over there with the very Marines that, are, that, are, that, are, that have had all these casualties, I, I just cannot believe it. I'm disgusted, disgusted at what's going on. Congressman Collins, I'll come to you because, you know, to that point, uh, even if you take the president at his own word, the decisions he's made have been his and his alone, that this was his perspective on Afghanistan from day one. Uh, it certainly was not the message we were hearing from his State Department a week ago, not the message we were hearing from his press secretary two weeks ago, not the message we were hearing from him one year ago when he decided he wanted to lead this nation. Uh, was he lying then or is he lying now? Now, is this just a convenient argument they have found themselves latching onto uh, to dismiss from the reality that this is an unmitigated disaster? I'm not sure he knows. I think that's the problem that we have going on right now. I'm not sure he knows what is, is going on with his own administration. His answers are not clear. His statements are contradictory. His press team is, is at this point basically useless. So my concern is, is what does Joe Biden think? What does he have besides the cue cards that are giving the answers to the American people that are not uh, reality-based on what's actually going on on the ground in Afghanistan? What is concerning to me, and you showed the clip earlier of Secretary uh, Austin, uh, General Milley, and others. Congressman Jackson knows this. Admiral Jackson knows this. I'm in the Air Force. If, if you mess up parking one of our ships or if you mess up one of our planes, you get demoted or you get fired. Why? I mean, the most catastrophic disaster that we've seen so far, Austin and Millie should already be gone. The intelligence community ought to be cleaned house. And, and President Biden ought to look into the camera and say, this is my fault. I am now going to fix it and not add the but and try to blame Donald Trump. I'm sick of it. I want a president who leads, not a president who looks like they're in need of help. 
Absolutely. You know, Congressman, I'll come back to you because we're sitting here looking at a president who says, I take accountability, blame me, put the blame on me, in the next breath tries to shift all the blame to the Trump administration. Uh, let's not do what they're doing. Let's focus on the task at hand. We've got Americans that do not know how they are going to find their way home. What efforts do you think can be done by members of Congress, by working with uh, NGOs, to make sure that we actually make sure every American makes it home? Because I don't know if those people have confidence in this administration's efforts to ensure their safety. Well, they absolutely don't. I mean, you can't even get our own citizens out, Joe. And I, I'll be honest with you. I don't know exactly what he does and don't know. I think Congressman Collins is absolutely right. I think that there may be, a, in my opinion, I think there's a shadow presidency at this particular point. I don't think his own team really tells him what's going on because I don't think they think he's cognitively able to process the information and make the decisions. So I think somebody else is, is really putting all the pieces together. This is a profound lack of leadership, and that's probably that's probably adding to it. But we as members of Congress, we have to get together. We have to figure out how this happened. And I know people will say there's time to point fingers later. That's true. But the disastrous leadership that got us into this is not going to be the leadership that gets us out of this. There's certain people, heads have to roll right now, and we have to get some people that can do the job. And I agree, the president right now, the secretary of state, the Secretary of Defense, they have failed this country, and we have to have some people step up to the plate, take their place, and lead us out of this disaster. And Congress needs to be here in D.C. right now where I'm at. We need to be in session right now addressing this issue and helping our administration get our people back home and stop the bleeding over there, literally stop the bleeding. Absolutely. Congressman Collins, uh, Congressman Johnson, thank you so much for joining us. Truly appreciate you both. We'll talk to you a little soon. Thank you, Judge. All right, coming up, while Afghanistan was unraveling senior leadership in the military was more concerned about being woke, Dr. Ben Carson joins us after the break. Stick with us. You're watching The Greg Kelly Show here on Newsmatch. We'll be right back. The former president of the United States. And, you know, I wouldn't say Fox has been exactly perfect. Fox has been a big difference of Fox between now and what it was four years ago, as you know. But we have others that come along and they're doing well. And uh, uh, Newsmax has been really good. And, you know, others are coming along. And people are seeing that they're watching these conservative networks. President Trump is right. That's why millions of Americans are tuning into Newsmax for the real news they can trust. Have you checked out the Newsmax Daily Podcast with me, Rob Carson? You get daily news, insightful commentary, and, believe it or not, comedy. Check it out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or at NewsmaxTV.com slash podcast. I want to understand white rage, and I'm white, and I want to understand it. So what is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America. What caused that? I want to find that out. That was the leader of America's Armed Forces, General Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, just a few weeks ago talking about critical race theory on the Capitol while he was getting his information on woke culture, the Taliban was hard at work already carrying out their plans to retake Afghanistan and wipe the map with the Afghan army that General Milley helped train. Even as those explosions went off outside the airport in Kabul yesterday, our top enlisted officer was still virtue signaling. 
Now, Dr. Ben Carson was the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development for the Trump administration. Always good to see you, doctor. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, look, I don't understand how people haven't already been fired. Uh, we talked, if they want to compare everything to January 6th, uh, we certainly had firings uh, sooner after January 6th than this. Uh, we've got 13 dead patriots in coffins with American flags draped on them over on their way home right now. How is it that accountability seems to be dead in America when the blood is clearly on the hands of this administration? Well, Joe, first of all, I would uh, say condolences to those families who lost uh, service members and the ones who've been injured as well. Um, you know, this whole wokeness thing uh, that Millie is talking about is a distraction. You know, what is the military there for? It's to protect us, to preserve our freedom, and to defeat our enemies. And when you start getting off into peripheral issues, it tends to be a major distraction. And then we, we need to be concerned about the leadership that we have right now. Uh, what rational leader would remove the military force before they remove the people that they're protecting? It would be sort of like if you're the president of the United States and your secret service says, this, we feel like we're in danger. Goodbye, we're leaving you. I mean, it's just craziness. And you know, it's not the United States of America. You know, this place is an amazing place. It went from a bunch of ragtag militiamen to the pinnacle of the world in record time based on common sense and liberty and justice for all. We didn't need wokeness to get us there. And we certainly don't need it at this time in our history. Well, to that point, the people who are doing uh, the fighting and the dying overseas uh, for this nation, they are all colors, all creeds. They wear one uniform, uh, they bleed one blood, and they stand up for American exceptionalism uh, without question. Uh, I think that should be the priority, making sure they're safe, making sure they have all they need uh, to execute their job right now, making sure that we get those Americans home and honor our obligation to them. Uh, and yet sure. somehow that doesn't seem like what's happening right now. We've got Sergeant Major Michael uh, Grinston, uh, the top enlisted man in the U.S. military yesterday, just a few hours before the attack at the airport that killed those 13 U.S. service members. He tweeted this, uh, quote, diversity is a number. Do you have people that don't look or think like you in the room? Inclusion is listening and valuing those people. Hashtag Women's Equality Day reminds us we're smarter and more lethal when we come together as an exclusive, cohesive team our values demand it. Um, I would say, yes, our values do demand coming together. Uh, but at the same time, we have to actually recognize the fact that those values are actually uh, imbued with the notion of we have to make sure we survive first. Well, you know, I think our enemies are probably delighted uh, that we've managed to allow ourselves to be diverted into uh, all of these other pathways without keeping our eye on the prize of what is important. What are we trying to do? What are our goals? And, uh, you know, as far as diversity and inclusion is concerned, what we really need to be thinking about is diversity of opinions and thinking. And we need to learn how to talk to each other, not get in our respective corners and, and castigate each other. This is the way that we begin to make progress. Recognize that there is no my way or the highway. 
there is an our way. And we get there by discussing things together, looking at the facts, putting the facts in the middle of the table, and using those to arrive at a conclusion. It's called common sense. And it's something that is no longer common, unfortunately. And it's going to be us, the people. We, the people, are going to have to save this country. This country is of, by, and for the people, not of, for, and by the politicians who would very much like to control everything and control our lives. And that's what happens when we step back. And if we're going to be the land of the free, we have to be the home of the brave. Absolutely. And we've been following this series of uh, woke recruiting ads being put out by the Army and the CAA. Want to take a listen and then get your thought feedback on that. Nothing about me was or is tragic. I am perfectly made. I can wax eloquent on complex legal issues in English while also belting Guayaquil de mis amores in Spanish. I can change a diaper with one hand and console a crying toddler with the other. I am a woman of color. I am a mom. I am a cisgender millennial. One of my moms had an accident that left her paralyzed. Doctors said she might never walk again. But she tapped into my family's pride to get back on her feet, eventually standing at the altar to marry my other mom. And there you have it, Dr. Carson. I mean, there's the old saying that goes, show me your friends and I'll tell you who you are. Um, I think that also the saying could be said, yeah, show me your priorities and I'll tell you what outcomes uh, you can expect. Um, if these are the priorities of the ent entities that we have trusted to keep Americans safe, um, perhaps, unfortunately, uh, what has occurred was inevitable. Again, distractions. And we need to get back to some of those cornerstone principles that made this into a great nation. Our faith, liberty, community, life. And, you know, these peripheral issues, uh, we really don't need to allow those to be distracting us at, at this time or really at any time. Anybody has the right to live the way that they want to. We fought for those rights. But to try to thrust them upon everybody else uh, doesn't make any sense. Everybody gets equal rights. Nobody gets extra rights. Absolutely. Former HUD Secretary Dr. Ben Carson. God bless you, my friend. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Joe. All right. Coming up, Capitol Police officers now suing Donald J. Trump and the January 6th Select Committee is requesting a massive document dump. One of the people they're trying to go after joins us after the break. Stick with us. I use an analogy to describe what I want as a hitman. If a hitman is hired and he kills somebody, the hitman goes to jail. But not only does the hitman go to jail, but the person who hired them does. There was an attack carried out on January 6th, and a hitman sent them. I want you to get to the bottom of that. All right, folks, Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn testifying before the House Select Committee that's supposedly investigating January 6th. I use that word, investigating. Uh, you heard him call President Trump effectively a hitman 
It'll be interesting to see how those comments play out in court when Capitol Police officers try to sue the former president. They've already filed uh, claiming he single-handedly caused the January 6th riot that they claim put their lives in danger. George Papadopoulos is a former Trump advisor and author of Deep State uh, Target. Uh, George, always good to see you, my friend. Does this lawsuit even stand a chance? And is any of that testimony from the committee hearing work against them uh, because they effectively just under oath called the 45th president of these United States a hitman, all while the FBI's own investigation thus far has said that there is very little information uh, that says that this was a coordinated effort? Well, absolutely. Great to be with you. So uh, what Stalin said, and that we have to revert back to history to actually understand the present and to chart the future, unfortunately, is that I'll show you the man and I'll find the crime. Meaning that if anybody wants to investigate a particular individual and scrutinize them and follow them 24 hours a day, they're going to find something. And unfortunately, what the Democrats have done by taking a playbook out of Joseph Stalin is forgotten the ramifications of launching illicit political persecutions and witch hunts into their political opponents. The FBI, because it did launch one of the most scandalous investigations, baseless investigations, Crossfire Hurricane, now under tremendous scrutiny, not only by a new special counsel, John Durham, but they themselves have come out publicly, as he just stated, and stated that there was no conspiracy whatsoever from the top or the upper echelons of the White House that was relegating or delegating responsibilities for the events of January 6th to any of the individuals who committed crimes or were uh, walking around and were doing crimes or just walking about. So I think uh, this does nothing more than politicize the Capitol Police, harms their reputation, and free speech absolutists should be co condemning this law lawsuits because it sets a precedent that no president or American official or any American individual should have to go through for exercising their First Amendment rights as President Trump did on January 6th and for weeks and months before that date. Well, to that point, I mean, you talk about what's happening here. I mean, the left, they have decided unequivocally uh, that Donald Trump is Al Capone. Uh, they have decided unequivocally that January 6th was 9-11 uh, to the point where they're actually acting as if the Republicans here at home are the equivalent of the Taliban murdering Americans abroad. How do we get to the point where we can rein back in a justice system that actually is just, uh, try to make sure that we have freedom of speech that actually works? Uh, because right now, from where I sit, we end up in a scenario uh, where the left has effectively uh, decided to call into question everything that we hold dear. I think the left have mastered the art of political vindictiveness, launching investigations and continuing them after, for months after no crime has been found and uh, turning our country upside down. This is something that American voters are watching very closely. They understood that they were fooled once with Mueller. They were fooled twice with the impeachment over a phone call and what they are viewing today. And that's what I believe is a major part of why we're seeing President Biden's approval rating not only falling among Democrats, but the key independent votes where he's actually fallen under 50% of approval rating with the midterms right around the corner is because Americans are fed up with these various political persecutions where they view a Department of Justice as 
uh, weaponized with overzealous prosecutors going after many innocent people looking for crimes, as I mentioned, with, uh, using the Stalin quotes, and they're going to harm the Democrat chances of keeping this razor-thin margin that they have in the Senate and in, in the House in 2022. Right. We already understand and we see that. Joe Biden is fumbling and uh, causing simultaneous political, economic, and security disasters for Americans. And now this is just another effort and another government overreach that Americans have seen over and over, and they're tired of this film. Quickly, got about 30 seconds here talking about investigations in search of a crime. Uh, the select committee demanding massive data dumps on any and everyone they can get their hands on. You yourself find yourself on this list. Uh, you seem to keep popping up on these lists. America has apparently uh, reverted back to list making. Uh, what are the concerns here again for freedom, for liberty? Got about 30 seconds. In terms of me as an individual, I have nothing to worry about regarding this particular list, but I do fear for the precedent that this does set. This is an example of government overreach, of a government gone mad, and one that is more focused on usurping civil liberties and privacy rights of all American citizens, including political opponents, than actually looking and dealing and prosecuting real crimes, fighting terrorists in Afghanistan, and assuring that our troops get back home safe. That's what the priority should be. That's what Congress should have been focusing on this past week. But unfortunately, my name, President Trump, his families, and other Trump allies keep coming up in these bizarre document uh, uh, right. procurement efforts that are just going to continue to fail. Uh, and that's something that I think all of Americans are going to expect. Absolutely. It's just a terrible miscarriage of justice when we find ourselves literally sitting here investigating over and over and over again. George, as always, my friend, God bless. Talk to you soon. Thank you. All right, Joe Biden not going to be the first president to either lie about Afghanistan or be completely misinformed. We're going to take a look back at how we got in this mess we're seeing in Kabul right now. Stick with us. You're watching Greg Kelly Reports. This country was made by tax rebels, freedom fighters, gold seekers, believers, lovers, and true patriots. We're Newsmax, and we're their heirs, and so are you. Newsmax TV, real news for real people. Thank you so much. Well, every president has a legacy, and just eight months into the Biden administration, Sleepy Joe's legacy is quickly becoming the guy who turns his back on America. He's now officially has the blood of American soldiers on his hands as the commander-in-chief during this debacle of a troop drawdown in Afghanistan. He's certainly not the first president to fail at his turn at bat and then lie about it. Presidential historian and former advisor to President George H.W. Bush, Doug Weed, joins us, and presidential historian and Reagan biographer Craig Shirley. He joins us as well. Uh, Craig, I'll start with you. Does this uh, complete lack of leadership prove that the Biden of old no longer exists? The whispers of cognitive decline uh, may actually be coming to fruition. What is your perspective here? I don't know about the Biden of old, but I can tell you about that. Biden of old probably is uh, the same as the Biden of today, weak and, uh, and flaccid and, uh, and uh, rudderless. 
Uh, but I can tell you about the history of the Democratic Party, and it goes back 100 years. Democrats have a long tradition of giving up territory to our enemies. FDR at, at Tehran and at Yalta gave up vast swaths of the, of the, of the Eastern Europe to the Soviets. Uh, Harry Truman gave up uh, uh, Red China, gave up China to the uh, communists. Uh, John Kennedy gave up Laos. Uh, the Democratic Congress in 1975 gave up Vietnam to the, to the communists. Uh, is that, and of course, Jimmy Carter gave up Nicaragua, Afghanistan, and Iran uh, in 1978, 79, and 80. And of course, now you have Joe Biden today giving up Afghanistan again. I guess they're running out of territory to, to give up. Uh, but this is a very dangerous precedent. Our enemies know that conservative and Republicans tend to be stronger uh, individuals like uh, Richard Nixon or Ronald Reagan, uh, whereas they view Democrats as weak pusharounds. And that's just that's not bias. That's just the plain truth. Right. Doug, want to get you in here. Want to take a listen to what President Obama said about Afghanistan over the course of his eight years in office. Take a listen. We've made progress on some important objectives. High-ranking al-Qaeda and Taliban leaders have been killed, and we've stepped up the pressure on al-Qaeda worldwide. In pursuit of our core goal, we are seeing significant progress. Today, al-Qaeda's senior leadership in the border region of Afghanistan and Pakistan is under more pressure than at any point since they fled Afghanistan nine years ago. The tide of war has turned in Afghanistan. We've broken the Taliban's momentum. We've built strong Afghan security forces. We've devastated al-Qaeda's leadership. And one year ago, our troops launched the operation that killed Osama bin Laden. Well, Doug, I'll, I'll come to you. Uh, it seems as if we have learned nothing. We have a president that seems to think that simply because al-Qaeda is gone, that means victory, even though they've been replaced with the same guys who went to work for a different organization with a different name, but the same objective, killing Americans, spreading terror, and reigning in freedom uh, wherever they roam. How do we get to the point where we can actually have America first leadership again, because clearly uh, this president uh, is very much not interested in anything resembling that. Well, uh, we're not going to get it with Joe Biden ever. And uh, we wouldn't have gotten it with uh, Barack Obama, who whose announced policy was to downgrade ISIS, not eliminate ISIS, but downgrade. He called the, uh, referred to the call to prayer as the sweetest sound on earth at sunset. They did everything they could to appease radical Islam in hopes of diminishing the number of recruits they could make, contrasted to Donald Trump, who said, I'd bomb the hell out of them. Donald Trump was a businessman. Politicians don't understand money. When they need money, they just produce more of it. Donald Trump understood that ISIS needed money from the sale of artifacts from antiquities, and he went after the billionaire collectors who were buying those artifacts, dried that source up, went after the oil that ISIS was selling, dried that up. But now here we go again. Biden is leaving in Afghanistan and billions of dollars worth of weapons behind, just like we did in Iraq, and probably will have the same consequences. Right, absolutely. Yes. I mean, how much, how, what a difference a few years makes. Uh, Craig, want to come to you, want to play this shot from former President Trump back in 2017. The consequences of a rapid exit are both predictable and 
unacceptable. 9-11, the worst terrorist attack in our history, was planned and directed from Afghanistan because that country was ruled by a government that gave comfort and shelter to terrorists. A hasty withdrawal would create a vacuum that terrorists, including ISIS and al-Qaeda, would instantly fill, just as happened before September 11th. Craig, quickly, it seems as if President Trump was a fortune teller. Uh, but then again, yes. most people could see the obvious uh, that if you create a vacuum, terrorism will fill that vacuum in the region. Well, Donald Trump obviously was very prescient, and I should have included him with other strong Republican presidents, including Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan. It also, obviously, includes uh, uh, Donald Trump. Look, the three of us uh, over, a, over, a, over a drink could come up with a strategy uh, for uh, Afghanistan better than the Biden did and their so-called brain trust. Uh, there's, there, they, there, nobody's res resigned, which is, a tr which is a human tragedy. You know, Carter left behind 55 American hostages uh, uh, in Iraq, uh, in Iran, and, uh, and Biden is leaving behind 1,500 American hostages uh, in Afghanistan. And now, we, now we've got a new problem on our hands. It's an absolute mess. I wish I had more time. Uh, Doug Weed, Craig Surley, appreciate you guys. We've gone from Afghanistan uh, being the last stand uh, to now Afghanistan being overrun. Truly uh, a remarkable and unfortunate thing to see. All right, coming up, what happens to all those Afghan refugees being airlifted out of Kabul? Congressman Buddy Carter will join us after the break. Stick with us. Already, DHS has been working closely with agencies across government, including our military, diplomats, intelligence community, and law enforcement professionals, and many others, to ensure that all Afghans are screened and vetted prior to being allowed into the United States. Screened and vetted, folks. They have absolutely, positively no idea what they are doing. Dazed and confused is what I would call it. That was White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki explaining how Afghan refugees supposedly are going to be vetted before they're brought to the U.S. Thousands of them are still trying to escape from Taliban control, while others have landed all across the world, like these evacuees flown into Albania, and many are coming to American soil as well. Georgia Congressman Buddy Carter is closely monitoring the situation. He joins us now. Congressman, uh, I, I don't know where to start here. How in the world do you plan on vetting people fleeing a nation overrun by terrorists with no birth certificates to be found, no documentation to be authenticated? Uh, how does one authenticate the unauthentic, un unauthenticatable? Well, that, that's a good point and certainly an important point. But more than anything, before we bring any Afghanistans over here, we need to make sure every American is brought back first. That is our goal at this point. The numbers of, of the Americans that are still over there, we've been told anywhere from 1,500 to 4,100. Uh, we're, we're told in, in some briefings that it's all the way up to 4,100. Now, and then we hear in press conferences that it's 1,500. Look, 
We owe a great deal of gratitude to the interpreters, to those who helped us to keep this country safe for the last two decades, for the last 20 years. And we should not flee and we should not leave them there on their own. We know what's going to happen with the Taliban. We know what's going to, that they're going to abuse the children, they're going to abuse the women. And that would be immoral, immoral of us to do that. However, there has to be a vetting process in place. We have to make sure that those who are coming over here are truly worthy of coming over here. And, and, and we have to make certain that we're not letting any terrorists come over here. That. And as you say, that's extremely difficult to do in a country where uh, uh, you're trying to vet the, those who can't be vetted. I mean, it, it's really crazy. I mean, we see the chaos unfolding there in Kabul. Certainly, um, being an American, at the very least, if you're talking about America first policy, certainly we should at least get the first plane seat on the plane. Uh, how do we even get past this? We had reporters pressing Secretary Lloyd Austin and General Miley about evacuations. They both looked uh, pretty crazy. But it seems to me that the brass taxes, there are Americans stuck on the ground, and these people are out to lunch. Take a listen. They want to get your feedback. Regretting not starting the evacuation even a few days earlier. Who's that for, Idris? Either one. You know, we make plans for a number of things, and, and clearly, as the chairman pointed out, uh, we, uh, as we did detailed planning throughout, we recognized that there might be a, a, a point in time when we'd have to conduct a NEO. Recognizing there was a time that it might happen and being prepared to execute uh, an actual plan to achieve it, two very different things. How in the world did nobody actually prepare to ensure that no American was left behind? There was no plan. There was no no foresight here, no forethought. And now we're ending up in the situation that we're in here. You had the correct word just a minute ago, chaos. It is total chaos. And, and where we go from here, we make damn sure that we get every American out of there. I don't care if it's September 1st, September 6th, September 9th. Don't set me a date of August of August 31st. Right. Whatever it takes, you get every American safely out of there. Absolutely. I don't know why the Taliban are dictating terms. Got about 30 seconds here. Quickly, uh, if you're looking at what happened on the southern border, over 300,000 gotaways, the president giving people crossing our border illegally uh, a, a basically a bow, a, a plane ticket, and an appearance ticket, uh, what is going to happen if they use that southern border model for the Afghan refugee crisis we know is coming. And, and don't think that they won't use that. I mean, I, I wouldn't doubt that this administration is not incompetent enough to use just something like that. I mean, you only have to look as far as our southern border to, to see just how incompetent they are and Absolutely. how inept they are. And that's why it gives me no confidence. It gives our allies no confidence. But I do want to get this in very quickly. To those who served in Afghanistan, to those who sacrificed, to those who served, we owe you a great deal of, of gratitude. Don't think for one moment that this botched exit from, from Afghanistan is any reflection on your service, on your sacrifice. We thank you. You kept our country safe for 20 years, and we owe you a great deal of gratitude for that. Absolutely. From your lips to their ears. God bless you, Congressman. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. All right. A shocking prison release. The man who shot RFK. We'll be right back after this to tell you all about it. It is so embarrassing.
if you've had it with the old news. And the same spent. Well, then Spicer & Company is your place. For the inside story. And for the facts that you need to know. All right. The man who shot RFK is being released from prison. Sirhan Sirhan has been granted parole by a California parole board today after Kennedy's two sons supported his release. This decision still needs approval from the governor of California, but it sounds like it's practically a done deal. Sirhan Sirhan killed Bobby Kennedy in 1968 at the Ambassador Hotel moments after he declared victory in a pivotal speech at the California primary. He was convicted of first-degree murder. 15 previous attempts at parole denied and this one approved that's going to do it for this edition have a great weekend and we'll see you next time